Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and into the dwelling, Santa snuck down after a day of short-selling. "'This is Santa.' "'What do you mean Johnson can't get rid of those securities? "'Why, they're going up every day. "'You tell that son of a bitch that if we get stuck—' "'As he emptied out presents, he was quite unaware "'of little Timmy hiding behind a papazon chair.' Gotcha now, Santa Claus. Oh my, you are real. Well now, I suppose I am then. I knew it. Are those my presents? Gimme. Hold on now, Timmy. Have you been naughty or nice this year? I'll ask the questions round here, Santa Claus. Have you ever been on a newspaper page before? Now, Timmy, let's not be so hasty with that photograph. I'm sure we can work something out. Let's cut the bullcrap, Kringle. If you hand over that bag of toys, I won't blow your cover. Naughty or nice, your call, fat man. Timmy, I don't think you realize all that Santa's gone through lately to bring you these toys. You almost didn't get anything this year. What? No toys? You can't do that. I'm freaking entitled. Well, Timmy, toys don't just magically appear. There are all sorts of labor costs and materials involved. Santa used to pay for these and deliver presents through a free market economy based on children's behavior. You know, naughty or nice, and all the gradients in between. But then the government gave Santa huge capital gain tax cuts for his toy production. And, well, Santa's so generous, he wanted to give as many toys as he could to as many children as possible. Even if those children hadn't really been very nice at all that year. This subprime child conduct market was too good to pass up, and Santa gave a lot of risky demeanored children lines of conduct credit with five-year adjustable interest rate conduct mortgages. Well, Timmy, a lot of these children defaulted on their behavior loans, and Santa was tied to a bunch of overvalued conduct finance instruments, which almost caused him to go bankrupt. Bankrupt? What the hell are you talking about? I'm talking about the recession, Timmy. The fact that 40,000 elves were laid off last week. The fact there was almost no Christmas this year, Timmy. Almost. But fortunately... The government stepped in and bailed out Santa Claus. With your mom and daddy's tax dollars, they made everything okay again. The government stepped in and bailed out Santa Claus. And now everybody's happy because we don't have to liquidate Christmas. Santa, what the freaking crap are you talking about? Well, Timmy, allow me to elucidate. You look in your stocking, I look in my portfolio. My stinky doo-doo assets are like your hunk of coal. 
But fortunately for you and for me, America needs Saint Nick. And I can keep giving you things you don't deserve once I'm deleveraged. Santa, just shut up and give me a freaking Xbox already. All in due time, Timmy. All in due time. Cause market intervention circumvents every intention of silly spending abstention that causes tragic vending prevention. Now listen closely, Timmy, cause I don't want you to miss this. Instead of a Black Monday, we'll have another white Christmas. Because the government stepped in and bailed out Santa Claus. With your mom and daddy's tax dollars, they made everything okay again. Yes, the government stepped in and bailed out Santa Claus. And now everybody's happy because we don't have to liquidate Christmas. That's right, Timmy. Things were looking pretty ho-ho-hopeless until Christmas became nationalized by the U.S. government. Nationalized? What the crap does that mean? Well, Timmy, a long time ago, people celebrated Christmas as a religious holiday, marking the birthday of a peaceful demigod named Yesu. Then Santa and some other shareholders bought out the holiday and really revamped the entire sector. But all that's changed, and now Christmas will be an egalitarian, classless, stateless holiday based on common ownership. And while my elves will still manufacture the toys in the North Pole, the suits in Washington will really control all of the means of production. So here's part of an Xbox. Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas, Festivus, the season of giving. An economic stimulus. Packages there underneath your tree are only there because the government bailed out the reindeer industry. So bust out the figgy pudding, down the champagne, and forget about your problems and your 401k. And be thankful that the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission can't regulate the sacred and most holy of traditions. The government stepped in and bailed out Santa Claus with your mom and daddy's tax dollars. They made everything okay again. The government stepped in and bailed out Santa Claus. And now everybody's happy because they don't have to liquidate Christmas. And that's the story of how the government saved Christmas. Christmas is a time full of all sorts of strange stories, from anthropomorphic snowmen to bioluminescent reindeer. Hello. And welcome to the Drabblecast Christmas Special. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners such as yourself. And I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Now where was I? Oh yes, the bioluminescent reindeer. I think he went by the name of Rudolph. But then, (laughs) you would know that already, wouldn't you? Everyone knows the story of Rudolph, but what about the other reindeer? The everyday, average, you know, Donner six-pack and Blitz and the Plumber? Well, today's story is by Jonathan C. Gillespie, and it's called On Dasher. Jonathan has several published works in a range of print and online publications, as well as audio pieces available at variant frequencies and elsewhere. He'd like to dedicate this work to his family and his many friends in publishing, including Rick and Ann Stringer, Matt Wallace, 
and a certain group of mega-beast wranglers. Jonathan lives in Duluth, Georgia, with his wife, Michelle, two cats, and an Australian bearded dragon, and would love to hear from you over at jonathancg.net, where he regularly posts free fiction. So without further ado, On Dasher, by Jonathan C. Gillespie. St. Nick's out of his element in the southern Pacific Ocean, standing near his sleigh, and so are the reindeer. They talk quietly amongst themselves, Blitzen, always like a big brother, reassuring the others, telling them they've nothing to worry about. Reindeer are creatures of routine, so this unexpected summons has spooked them. Seen from a hundred feet up, if one could see any of this meeting, which they can't, St. Nick and his reindeer are red and brown dots, standing on a pot-marked gray island spanning hundreds of feet, lapped by waves. This is a thousand-foot whale, in non-appearance, but so much more. Oh, so much more. This is Leviathan, lord of myth, father of the unseen, patriarch of the unknown. He'll be here any moment, won't he? says St. Nick. Leviathan breathes in, his blowhole like a jet engine. His words are heard, seemingly from everywhere at once, but his vast mouth doesn't move. Yes, Nicholas, very soon. Should you tell him now? St. Nick nods, turning to his team. Um, Dasher? He has to repeat himself. Dasher glances up, disinterested. What? We're not here about us. We're here about you. Lord Leviathan is concerned. I'm concerned. Dasher's mouth drops. You're kidding me. Blitzen, Donner, did you guys know about this? I don't know what's going on, says Blitzen. But everyone's noticed your lethargy the past few years. The attitude problem? Vixen adds. It's like you don't even care anymore. Dasher sighs. And you do? <laughs> do the kids? No. They lie awake these days and listen for mom and pop to plant presents underneath the tree. They don't even believe in us anymore. We don't mean a thing to them. Might as well be fixtures in Walmart. I think you're wrong, says St. Nick. Prove it. Then they all see it. A glittering dot appears in the moon's vicinity and for a moment Dasher assumes it's the North Star, emerging in the twilight. But it gets larger. The reindeer get quiet. What is that? asks Prancer. Some help that I summoned from the east, replies Leviathan. By the request of Nicholas. It's so bright now, streaking in like a comet. St. Nick stands put as it hurls down over the ocean, kicking up water to either side of it, and comes to rest on Leviathan's back. The glow recedes around a golden-scaled beast with long whiskers, ivory fangs, and a thick orange beard. 
Horns of jade sprout from its head. It stalks around St. Nick on wickedly clawed paws. Waves of heat distort the air around it. Sapphire eyes study St. Nick and the reindeer team. There are many labels for this being. Observant is one of them. The reindeer shrink back, except Dasher. His eyes betray suspicion. Huh, it's a Chirin. That's what it is, right? I am capable of speech, the beast says, and you may exercise yours to me directly. It flicks an ember-red tail in emphasis. Saint Nick nods. Jing Yo, it's good to see you. These two go way back, and there's no respect lost in the mutual bow that follows. Jing Yo settles down on its belly. Okay, says Dasher. What's going on? Leviathan interrupts. Dasher, you are jaded. Jing Yo has expressed interest in taking up your position at the reins this year. Perhaps permanently. This is insane, says Dasher. He emerges from the line, his harness disintegrating. It's only there when he wishes it. I heard your doubts on the way here, says Jing Yo. Some of your concern is valid. Many still believe, but work needs to be done. So Leviathan is letting us cross over into reality this year, just this once. In these people's minds we will stoke new fires. Won't you warm yourself near them? <laughs> no. From where I stand, I'm being needlessly replaced, said Dasher. Nothing else. Jing Yo glances at Santa. Dasher is quite frigid. Is it indeed so cold in these northern places? Dasher, try to understand, says Saint Nick. I need everyone committed to what we do. You are so morose these days. It's becoming too much. I've even debated relegating you back to the third row, moving Prancer or Comet forward. Lord Leviathan, says Dasher, fuming. Speak, Dasher. I want a second chance. I've been pulling Big Red here for over a hundred years, and I want a shot at keeping my job. I deserve it. Are you so sure? Last year, Nicholas barely cleared the last cities in South America before sunup. Who was slowing him down? Donner speaks up. It's not all on his shoulders. I wasn't feeling so well. Saint Nick waves a white-gloved finger. Donner, you have a good heart. You know we don't get sick. Lord Leviathan, says Dasher. Please, just another chance. Jing Yo speaks up. Lord of myths, I humbly request that if I am to fulfill this task, it is done in fairness to those who came before me. In truth, the decision-maker here isn't our friend Nicholas, Dasher, or myself. And it's not even you. The children bear this choice. Leviathan sighs. The blowhole sends vapor high. How? Do you have a gift? 
Jing-Yo asks Santa. Santa twitches his nose. Something sparkles and drops to the gray blubber in front of Dasher and Jing-Yo. It's a green box wrapped with a red bow. I have selected a child, says Jing-Yo. In the most humble of circumstances, we can go to her and let her make the decision. How do we know she wouldn't be biased, says Dasher. I am Chirin, replies Jing-Yo. If he's insulted, it doesn't show. It is fair. There's, uh, something else, says Dasher. He stares down Jing-Yo. A race. You and me. Let me give the people something to really dream about. Let me show you all my true speed. Tell me where the child is, and we'll be off. Very well, says the Chirin. He rises. Aberdeen, Scotland. They call it St. Marcus Medical Center. You'll know the child. She sneaks out of bed each night and opens her window. So it is agreed, says Leviathan. Go now. Jing-Yo rises, wrinkling the blubber with his hoofed feet, and turns to face northwest. Like a burst of lava, he jets upward from Leviathan, ablaze again. Dasher watches him go. St. Nick and the other reindeer are frantic, telling him to hurry. Stop showing off. Say it, says Dasher to St. Nick. One more time. St. Nick yells. On Dasher. And he's off, leaping into the night, hooves a blur, following that shooting star northwest. Jing-Yo and Dasher, now visible through Leviathan's magic, are first noticed by a charter plane passing over French Polynesia. In the rear cabin, a tourist lifts a glass of scotch to his lips. His peripheral vision catches something bright orange passing through the clouds to the north. It's gone as soon as he turns his head. Peering through the window, he then sees a brown speck moving along the same path. What the hell is that? He wonders. Are those antlers? But then it too vanishes. Dashers passing through furrows in the clouds, many vortexes that spin like satin ribbons. Jing-Yo is a burning starburst, but his legs are kicking hard, and he's throwing glances over his shoulder to see where Dasher is. Islands come and go. Here and there, Dasher sees light, small smoky villages and docked rusty boats, sees people pointing upwards, noticing the Chirin noticing him. But it's no mystery where most of their awe is going. The Chirin is majestic, and he is just a reindeer. Hop, hop, a leap over a volcano's ash. Then another two hours and they're in a storm brooding over the East Marshall Islands. Up a thunderhead's black peak, booming flashes at Dasher's belly, whips of wind across his face, water flickering off his antlers. And in the heart of the storm, there's Jing-Yo. Jing-Yo, a hundred feet ahead, losing speed, a fireball amongst the thunderstorm's flesh. Dasher's hair stands on end just before lightning strikes them both, but they are unscathed. Then, they're out of the clouds. Dasher strains, pumps his supernatural muscles for all they're worth. 
Another hour puts them in the Philippines. Jingyo dives to gain speed, and they zip along rooftops, a mall, a police station, but they've passed by the time the first officer has a hand on his firearm. The ocean slips under them again, and a new strip of light grows along the horizon. Mainland China. Dasher grins, knowing they'll see him out front, ahead of their literal golden boy. It's a struggle, a duel without a word exchanged. Wisps of fire flicking off Jing Yo, past Dasher, then to his side, as he passes the Chi Rin. Amongst the glass forest of Hong Kong's towers they pass, a brown bolt and a red blaze reflected on all sides. Then Dasher banks hard and down, throwing a microburst at Jing Yo, who drafts him downwards, over a stadium, over a roar and a thousand cameras flashing. Dasher grins. There's a good shot for their media. Let them stick that in their skepticism and take a big drag. Cities pass, blown by as easily as the jets that the Chinese have thrown into the air, tailing them in futility. Dasher's faster than the X-15 many times over. Now to add some flair. Care for a detour? He yells to Jing Yo. I'll show you how to impress him. Follow me. As you wish, shouts Jing Yo. The fighters disappear behind them, losing them as Nepal rushes upward to greet them with rock and ice. Dasher sees what he's looking for, powers himself to it. Glancing from their tents along the side of the mountain, or from their base camps miles below, fifty nationalities look up from Christmas celebrations. They see Dasher touch down and run along the peak of Everest. Three steps and he's airborne again. Not to be outdone, Jing Yo gallops on the peak before taking flight once more. No more games, Dasher thinks. He turns sharper northwest. A cluster of nations go by rapid fire, moonlit deserts and high scrubland. Over the bright lights of the Ukraine, Jing Yo passes him, a hoof's lead that begins to expand. Dasher realizes that Chirin was pacing himself, letting a foolish reindeer overexert, show off. So little time now to catch up. To catch up. The weight of it crushes into him. He decides to pace himself better, regain strength. He falls back, letting the Chirin advance still further until he's a dot far ahead, almost indistinguishable from the passenger jets that lazily ply the skies. When he was still a fawn, just after the change that brought intelligence and his other gifts, he'd imagined the sky as a vast, wide tundra, perfect for speed. It helped with those first few months before he'd felt at home in the air. He'd pretend he was his father, galloping at the head of a mighty herd, making a drummer's beat along the skin of the Arctic Circle. Now he's back on that tundra in his mind, gaining speed, reaching deep into his final reservoirs of strength. Jing Yo is getting brighter. The North Sea gives way to rocky shores at their left. Boats are in the harbor, lit up with Christmas lights. People are on the decks. Spotlights from the city below find them. Illuminated snowflakes hurl by. Dashers almost caught Jing Yo. They're both slowing, exhausted. They haven't much time. Dasher sights the hospital on the horizon. He strains and sees the open window. As Jing Yo pulls away once more, down to the streets, cars beeping, power lines barely missed. 
Blurred neon signs and distorted shouts, flashing of police lights. Jinyo slows down, but Dasher knows he's been beat. With a flash of light, Jinyo vanishes at the window's frame. The curtains inside rustle suddenly. Dasher comes up on the window and shrinks himself, becoming sparrow-sized for a moment, a trick taught to him by a good man in a red suit, and enters the room. Once on the other side, he returns to full size in a blink of light. In this fifth-floor room, there is now a reindeer. Dasher looks around. Clouds painted on the walls, fields of grass, smiling children. Stuffed animals sit in a chair, a pink giraffe and a purple lion. This is a place trying to be something it isn't. Jingyo isn't here. The gift is, wrapped and waiting on a cold tile. A tray of food lies mostly untouched near the hospital bed, where someone stirs and the sheets bunch up. Dasher doesn't know what to do as a little girl sits up in the bed. She's bald, and a plastic tube extends into the bed towards her left arm. Wow, she says. You're really here. Dasher's antlers scrape the ceiling, and bits of paint fall onto his fur. You knew I was coming? He asks. Yes, she replies. That nice gold doggy said you would. He's been coming every night for weeks. Are you here to be my friend too? Sure, kid, says Dasher. He lifts the present in his teeth, speaking through clenched incisors. This is for you. Can you bring it over? She asks. Dasher maneuvers around the equipment, beeping green lines, an IV pouch hanging above. He lowers the present to her hand. There are lots of shouts in the streets outside. He knows he doesn't have long. And he realizes that that might apply to her, too. She has a hard time with the wrapping, grunting as she tries. He reaches down and gently peels back the paper on one side with his teeth. She rubs his snout as he does so, and giggles. Her laugh is the thinnest ice, so delicate and fragile. His eyes begin to water. I love it, she says. A stuffed reindeer. She clutches it to her chest. He can live here with Elroy and Scooter. Dasher hears the sirens outside, drawing near the base of the building. But in this moment, all the trappings of the world, all the tinsel and fake smiles and cynicism have faded. His cynicism has faded. And he understands what's waiting every year he takes to the skies. I have to go, he says. Will you come back? Sudden sadness. I'm right here, anytime you need me, he replies. He nudges the stuffed reindeer. She nods. I understand. I'm not the only one. It's going to be okay. But it has been hard to pull the sheets back up lately. She lays down, and he tucks her in gently. Little cold hand on his face, one last time. There are shouts somewhere, way down the hall. Dasher watches her as long as he can. Even this small activity was so much effort for her. 
she's already drifting back off. Her eyes close. By the time the nurse and policemen have checked her room, Dasher is 20,000 feet up. Unreality closes around him once more, and the searchlights lose him. Dasher knows to follow the North Star, to head back to the pole. When Jingyo drops in beside him, it takes him a while to speak. Thank you, says Dasher. They travel in silence for another few minutes before he speaks again. Somewhere along the way, along all those years, I lost why we do this. What's her name? Margaret. I don't know how to repay this, says Dasher. Well, how about bragging rights, says Jingyo. Just admit to the team who won the race tonight. Dasher glances at him, but even the Chi Reen can't keep a straight face. They both laugh. No need for thanks. You have given so much. All of us wanted to help you. Perhaps you can simply keep your rounds over Asia intact. Dasher nods. Yeah, I think I can definitely handle that. Snow starts to fall in the silent night. Well, we here at the Drabblecast love us some mythological beasts. Chi Rin, the mythical hooved Chinese chimerical creature known throughout various East Asian cultures, are pretty freaky looking if you've seen pictures of them. But they only punish the wicked. Same goes for Santa Claus and his Nazgul. But watch out for Leviathans. They don't play by anybody's rules. Well, we hope you folks have a pretty tight holiday and a badass new year. If you have a little spare change jingling around your PayPal account, or you're not afraid of using your credit card at this point, consider donating to us via the two convicting PayPal options on our website, either for a $5 a month subscription or for one time. Without your support, we couldn't pay authors to do what we do, so we appreciate anything you can give. You can also help us out by blogging about us or sharing the podcast with other people. The Government Bails Out Santa Claus skit at the beginning is available as a separate MP3 in our Drabblecast MP3 warehouse, which you can find off of our main page, drabblecast.org, if you want to send it to Rush Limbaugh or someone. Feel free, because all of our content is published under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license, which means it's free to copy and share all you like. Just don't alter it without asking us, and don't make any money from it without, well, telling us how the crap you made money from it. We'll see you next week. Our staff is made up of co-editors, Luke, Yes We Can, Coddington. Kendall, Sure, You Can If It Works For You, We Create Our Own Truth, Marchman. And yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you to share your Xbox. adventures. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. 
Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.